0: welcome to the vancouver tech podcast this is episode 84 i'm your host drew Ogrizik. samantha ming from the events podcast what's going on this week
1: hey drew Lots of great events happening this week. On Monday, we have a pitch night, so if you're an entrepreneur, this is a great opportunity for you to practice your pitch and get feedbacks from a panel of judges. This is happening at 5.30 in downtown. Also on Monday, we have a panel discussion on defining your path. It's organized by SFU's Graduate Businesswoman Council and it's at 6pm. On Tuesday, we have four really cool events. The first is a Google Cloud Workshop. It's a free full-day training event from 9 to 5, so if you're a solution developer looking for cloud solutions, this might be a really good event to check out. The second is a free HTML and CSS workshop by Lighthouse Labs at 6 p.m. The third is How to Raise Money Without Giving Up Equity. It's a panel discussion on non-dilutive funding resources, and it's at 5.30 the fourth is Pi Ladies Code Jam. The event is a collaboration with women who code. Attend this event to practice some coding challenges or get some help on your project. This is at 5.30 at Unbounce. Moving on to Wednesday, we have two events geared for startups. The first is a workshop by Futurepreneur. They're a nonprofit organization helping entrepreneurs. So this is a three-week workshop series aiming to help you create a killer business plan. The second is a product and feature valuation. How do you know if your product has a good market fit? When do you pivot? When do you press on? Learn more at 7pm at InstaRay. Finally, on Thursday, CoCor is having their demo day. So if you're an employer looking for tech talents, this is a great event to check out. And that's this week's top selection of events you should check out.
0: And we're joined with special guest, Jerry Chi, data scientist at Supercell. And Jerry, now you, thank you very much for joining us.
2: Uh, thank you for having me.
0: You spend most of your time, I guess, between Japan and Finland. That's right. How do you manage to overcome your jet lag? Um,
2: I mean, yeah, it's not too bad. I'll just usually get over it in uh, one or two days. And there's, it's actually a, just a six-hour time difference between the two countries most of the time. Um, So, yeah, it's not as bad as, for example, traveling from the US to, or from Canada to Japan.
0: Okay. Makes sense. Very cool. Uh, So why don't you tell us a little bit about Supercell and your role as a data scientist?
2: Yeah. So uh, Supercell is a mobile game developer based in Finland. Uh, So we make games such as uh, Clash of Clans, Clash Royale, uh, Heyday, and Boom Beach. Um, and actually, uh, right now there's this game that's only released in Canada called a Brawl Stars, uh, which is a three versus three uh, shooting game. So, yeah, um, that's our company, and um, what I do there is, as a data scientist is basically uh, analyze data. So you know, figure out uh, how users are behaving in the game. What can we do to um, improve uh, you know the user experience? And, uh, you know, how um, different things perform, like if we uh, run an an event in the game, like, uh, you know, how is the participation and how does that affect various user metrics, uh, things like that. So it's kind of like a technical role, but also kind of involves some uh, like business and analytical insight at the same time.
0: So you said Brawl Stars is uh, currently only released in Canada. Now, is that to get uh, particular analytics or something like that on the Canadian market? Yeah, so
2: it's called in the industry a soft launch. Uh, So uh, basically, yeah, we're trying to get a sense of, um, you know, how uh, people respond to the game, uh, how people are playing it, um, how the metrics look, um, you know, in a kind of a more limited scope first. Um, and then, you know, we might decide to do more with the
0: game. Is Canada a, a typical market for soft Yes, watches?
2: because uh, the U.S. Uh, is one of the biggest uh, mobile game markets in the world. And uh, so Canada as a market is kind of similar to the U.S. So, you know, if something... Uh, will work out in Canada, then there's a good chance that it will work out in the U.S. and other Western markets as well.
0: That sounds uh, pretty good for Canadians. So you get early access to a lot of games, yeah, I, yeah, I suppose. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. So you've got a pretty, uh, a pretty extensive and impressive background. I see Stanford. You went on to uh, Wharton School of Business. You speak, right. I guess, four languages and. You also have the opportunity to use those languages as well in your work from time to time. Here's a question on my mind, though. A lot of people wonder, you know, when they think about going to, uh, going to Japan, for example, to work, that they really need to have, uh, Japanese. How important do you think that is uh, in the day-to-day life there, maybe for you or for others? So
2: yes, it's definitely important. Uh, I also uh, definitely know people who don't speak Japanese and uh, work at a, you know, satisfying job um, in Japan uh, for a long time. And, uh, you know, and yeah, they enjoy their work and life, right. But it's true that if you don't speak Mm -hmm. Japanese, um, a lot of opportunities will be blocked off for you, uh, both at work and, you know, in your kind of leisure time. Um, yeah, it definitely, I think, um, if you do, you know, decide to move to Japan and work, uh, it, the uh, you know, it would make sense to try to study Japanese. Yeah. And I can talk more about, um, you know, what kind of jobs uh, would be doable without Japanese if you're interested.
0: Yeah, for sure. I was actually, um, I'm not sure if many people know in, in Canada, but the, um, Line, for example, uh, the chat program uh, is very popular in Japan, but maybe not in, in other places. But I noticed they have two offices that are hiring, one in Tokyo and one in Fukuoka. And the one in Fukuoka is actually the one where if you only speak English, you can go there. And I thought that was quite ironic that it would be kind of in a smaller city than in, in, in Tokyo. And I wonder if that's a a push for uh more immersion to help people to to learn Japanese or what? Um
2: no, I don't I don't know. Uh I'm just uh speculating here, but uh, first I I want to say that that's quite an exceptional move that like, most companies would not set it up like that. So uh, as you you know, I think you said you were expecting that, um, you know, in the kind of smaller city, you would actually have a lower percentage of, of English speaking staff. So in general, that is true. Like most of the kind of English uh, speaking jobs are uh, based in Tokyo, unless it's an English teacher job. Um, like What I think LINE might be doing is uh, they're kind of um, splitting up the kind of functions of the location. So, you know, the office in Tokyo might work on some things and Um, The office in Fukuoka might work on other things, and there's also, um, like, obviously, uh, or I guess not everyone might know, but um, Line is a subsidiary of a neighbor based in Korea, and uh, Fukuoka is also um, quite uh, close physically to Korea, and there's also a lot of Korean people um, living in Fukuoka, so, you know, that also might have something to do with... um, you know, English being used to, you know, communicate between um, Japanese and um, Korean people as well as uh, with, um, you know, foreigners from other countries. Yeah, so there's like a, maybe a couple of factors. That like makes that. sense. I think
0: there's actually even a an overnight ferry from Busan to. Yes, to yes. Out. So
2: it's actually this is a, a random unrelated <laughs> fact, but you can actually like have a vacation or uh, for under one hundred dollars um, going if you live in Busan, you can take an international vacation to Japan for you yeah. know, Just if you take the ferry <laughs> and like. Have lunch, go to the spa, whatever, and then come back, and that'll be less than a hundred dollars
0: okay, so coming back to um to working and living mm-hmm. in Japan uh, as a foreigner, what sort of opportunities are available now obviously, I guess it' was, it's a little different for you if you speak what do you speak Chinese, Korean, uh, obviously English, right. and Japanese. Yeah. do you think that that helps a lot? Uh, it's been my impression that you know the language skills are are nice to have. But rather secondary compared to um, the primary role, whether that be programming or data science or or whatever the role um, is. Yeah,
2: it, de- it depends a lot on the role. So there are, um, you know, definitely jobs where it's just like really crucial that you're uh, you speak both Japanese and English well. And yeah, sometimes like um, you know one candidate will get the job over another just because uh, their language skills are better, even though there are other skills required for the job. Um, for programming. Um, to I mean, like people say that you know communications are com- communication skills are important for uh, programmers too. But um, to be honest, um, oftentimes uh, you know, the actual programming skill will you know be the most important thing when hiring. And so yeah, so somebody with um, you know, relatively poor language skills, uh, you know, might um, still get the job because they're really good at programming. Um, yeah, but in general, I can kind of like le- I guess let me split uh, the kind of uh the discussion into, um, jobs that, uh, you know, that require Japanese and then skills that can be done with, uh, just English. Um, so, I mean, the vast majority of jobs in Japan would require Japanese. So like anytime you're, you would be, um, dealing with clients or, um, dealing with business partners, you know, dealing with, um, you know, people outside the company, then, um, definitely, uh, like, almost always, um, Japanese uh, skill language skills are needed. And, um, you know, there's this kind of, um, uh, like, Japan is, like, a society that uh, very much values uh, politeness and um, these kind of uh, practices of uh, just uh, being, like, polite and, and formal when doing business dealings, right? So even if you kind of, you know, are able to make yourself understood in Japanese, you also have to learn uh, the kind of like honorific form and kind of like the the way to kind of behave and speak politely and stuff. So, you know, you have to be kind of uh, pretty fluent uh, for many jobs. And so um, like, even if it's a kind of like a foreign company, like if you're applying for a, a foreign company based in Japan, um, if it's a, often those roles, those the what a comp- foreign company needs to do in Japan is um business development or sales or marketing and um you know typically that will require interacting with people outside the company who don't speak English. So that's why um Japanese is required a lot. Okay. Am I am I making sense so far?
0: I uh, I think so, yeah. So for a lot of roles that require any sort of interaction with um mm-hmm. external uh entities then japanese skills would be desirable at the very least and obviously if you're uh, in japan that that's something that's interesting i think um the the level of english there is not necessarily uh, i mean it's japan so the the level of japanese there is great yeah and so uh there's also a lot of formalities uh in the language and in the culture that would be good to right. to have not necessarily um not necessarily applicable to a lot of programmers but still maybe so um, there's another side to that as well which is sort of the culture and the mentality of companies and the um the working ethic mm-hmm. things like that might be quite different between Japanese and foreign companies. Now you've worked for both uh Japanese and foreign companies in Japan? Um
2: I've actually only worked for uh, foreign companies but I've um had interviews with uh Japanese companies before and I've I've read a lot about them and and obviously I have like friends that uh, work there and stuff so i have a pretty good idea of what it's like
0: and what do you think do you think that would be um do you think there'd be additional challenges to working for a japanese company in, in japan versus a foreign company in japan or uh, the other way
2: yes there are different kinds of uh challenges uh, for each um so um basically so one is uh the kind of, uh, kind of compensation and benefits. So typically, um, you know, Japanese companies will, um, kind of compensate less than foreign companies, especially if you're younger, a lot of, um, traditional Japanese companies will just compensate based on like how long you've been at the company. And, um, you know, so it's not really a meritocracy. Um, and then, um, yeah, there are a lot of other kind of, Um, You know, cultural challenges like uh, kind of like like expectations and rigidity that, uh, you know, you wouldn't expect um, coming from a Western company. Um, So and if you're working at the Western company, you oftentimes, um, you know, have the issue of kind of, um, you know, not. Uh, well, I guess this might be true for kind of like any subsidiary, but, uh, you know, like all the cool stuff might be happening or all the decisions might be happening at the headquarters like somewhere else, and then you're kind of... um on the ground in Japan, um, trying to somehow um, connect uh, the local stuff going on in Japan and, uh, you know, the people at headquarters who might not really understand um, what's going on in Japan. And then so you have to um, convince headquarters that, oh, okay, like Japan has like this special situation or, you know, these like special needs. And so that's why we need like extra resources or like to make an exception to the rules um, just for the Jap- Japanese market. And so uh, there, it can be frustrating to kind of, you um, you know, like having to like be this uh, liaison between uh, headquarters and other offices and, uh, and the Japan office. Um, but at the same time, that can be an interesting challenge. And that's like somewhere where you can add a lot of value if you're able to do that.
0: So what about um, what about visas and sponsorship and things like that? I've spoken to a couple of people and they said, uh, you know, with regards to engineering, it's quite easy to obtain visas and a lot of places seem pretty interested in in sponsoring um i don't know if that's the case with you but could, yeah could you so that? um
2: i think most of the time um you know if you have you know some sort of uh you know special skill you know that might be um programming or um, some other type of engineering or you know some sort of like special knowledge or skill and you know you went to um, university um you know, things like that, then it makes it uh, easier to uh, get a visa. So, you know, most, I I see Japan as a relatively, you know, easy country for um, getting a visa. Like if you're, you know, if you can be a valued member of the workforce, then you'll probably get a visa. Um, I I have heard of, you know, some rare cases where, you know, people, they did seem to have like a kind of legitimate uh, job offer and they still didn't get a visa so it still can happen but like most of the time it seems to be uh, relatively smooth um japan is kind of more uh kind of xenophobic um when it comes to visa when you're talking about um like certain job types like uh, you know uh, like blue collar jobs or kind of uh like nursing jobs and and things like that um, so I guess for like the listeners of this podcast, like the type of jobs that they would have, like those would be uh, like pretty like a lot easier uh, for getting visas in Japan.
0: Uh, so a lot of countries now have um, sort of governments getting behind a lot of tech mm-hmm. startups and uh, the whole idea of, you know, build a company. Whether you're coming from foreign countries or whatever, and uh, build a tech company, and, and there's some resources in place. What about with regards to Japan? Are there any resources you can think of that would be quite helpful or um, good for for startups, uh, tech startups in particular? Yes.
2: So um, there are some uh, government initiatives. Um, so um, there are actually like a like a couple of different programs, and um, I don't. Really remember all of them, but um, so for foreigners uh, wanting to start a company in Japan, there's actually like a foreigner entrepreneur visa that I think is um, relatively new. Um, if there's also like a system for um, getting uh, really cheap loans from a government institution, if you're you know just um, you know starting. Uh, a business, and you want like a really cheap loan with like almost no interest. Um, there are also kind of um, accelerator programs, and um, you know, like ways to kind of like uh, get advice uh, from like various uh, government institutions. So, um, so yeah, I think um, you know there's some stuff going on in that regard. Um, but um, yeah, there's also a lot of um, non-government resources um and uh and yeah there's also um i guess one point i should make is that uh you know there's some places like singapore which seem to make it just you know super duper easy to like start up a a new company as a foreigner and um you know they just cut through all the red tape and um like make everything super easy i don't think it's quite that easy in japan there's still um you know some red tape and um you know um, is it, it isn't just like an entrepreneur heaven like there's still like kind of issues to resolve so um, but but yeah there is some support from the government
0: a lot of people don't really like to, so much to deal with recruiters and i'm sure yourself having google uh, supercell stanford wharton on your linkedin you probably have a lot of uh, recruiters reaching out to you um, mm-hmm. now with regards to japan would would it mm-hmm. What do you think? Would it be advisable for somebody to, if they're interested in in checking out the the job scene in the market, to reach out directly to companies, to talk to recruiters, or to go to Japan and attend meetups uh, or conferences and events? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I would recommend all of the above, actually. Um, so, I mean, there are definitely um, like benefits and, and downsides to each right um but um yeah i've gotten um kind of some messages uh, from recruiters that are you know kind of annoying and they don't really kind of you know understand what i'm looking for and they're just trying to you know make some quick make a quick commission but i've also met um other uh recruiting agencies uh who you know like take the time to like really understand uh what i want and they yeah they're um you know, they, uh, like provide value and kind of, um, you know, like they can take some of my concerns and, um, you know, convey that to the company and take some of their concerns and convey that to me. Um, you know, like it might be some things that are kind of difficult to, to say directly. Right. So, you know, like if you want to like ask about, okay, how's the, Work life balance at that company, or like what is their compensation structure? Like, you can't really ask the company that um, directly, like early on um, in the process, right? Because it might sound kind of weird, but you can ask the recruiter and then they can kind of give you advice about that. So, um, yeah, for kind of uh, like startups, there's um, a good platform called Adjusta, J U S T A. And there are also, um, depending on the kind of job you're looking for, um, there's a few other people I can recommend.
0: In Japan we met at the um, an AI meetup and I guess they host uh, daily AI based meetups um, and it seemed like that was kind of a blend of uh, maybe do some work but also maybe some recruitment or uh, it wasn't it wasn't completely clear to me what the company was focused on
2: hmm yeah so um, that's actually quite rare to have um, a meetup every single day that's <laughs> that, that's pretty intense actually <laughs> and that and they only started pretty recently. Um but uh I think um you know the in Japan at least um like in the tech scene uh, there's a pretty cool uh meetup culture so um you know there will be there's a few platforms for um doing these meetups. Uh, the biggest one for tech stuff is uh C O N N P A S uh, S dot com. Um Unfortunately, uh most of the stuff is in Japanese, but um there's also some uh English events uh at uh mostly on uh, meetup.com. Um so, yeah, in general, um yeah, I feel like uh just, you know, everyone's like very open about uh, you know, sharing uh, the work that they've been doing and um, you know, networking, like trying to help each other out, um, you know, demonstrating their work. Uh, Like, Lightning Talks uh, is, like, a cool format. You know, everyone just, uh, you know, maybe you guys do that in Vancouver, too, right? Like, just everyone presents for five minutes on something they've been working on. Mm -hmm,
0: Absolutely. Uh, Lightning Talks are are usually quite popular and and fun to attend.
2: Uh, Yeah. There's also this other kind of, like, study group where just, like, everybody, um, like, works on a given topic. Like, okay, let's figure out TensorFlow together. And there isn't really, like, a teacher or a speaker. It's just, like, everybody um you know gets into a room and then you know kind of um studies in the same room and then maybe after two or three hours you might kind of discuss like what you figured out or what you learned so there's actually um kind of no expert uh in the room teaching anything uh it's it's kind of like the first time i went i thought it was kind of weird because just nobody said anything for an hour but it, it turned out to be pretty cool by the end Um, Yeah, and obviously there's, like, um, you know, lectures or, you know, tutorials about, okay, how do you, you know, set up, uh, you know, like, the the first, like, basic machine learning, uh, you know, test on, like, Microsoft Azure machine learning or something. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. There are definitely way more events that happen than than I can attend.
0: So are the the events uh, typically, I guess, typically in Japanese, but are there also some in English?
2: Yeah, yeah, so actually that's... One kind of weird thing is that um, it's sort of divided, so there might there are often um, Japanese events where it's kind of like 100% or 95% Japanese people, and then there will be like these English-based events, which are like 80% foreigners. So kind of because of this sort of language barrier, um, yeah, the events are kind of like almost all Japanese people or almost all non-Japanese people, and... Um, yeah, and that can kind of like affect a little bit the uh, you know the culture or like the you know that the, the the way that these events evolve um, but um, you know I'm able to attend both and I definitely in, enjoy both types um, you know like a, a like a good example of a like a kind of foreigner one is some hacker news um, that's maybe like 70 80 percent foreigners I guess the attendees and uh, yeah it's just like a bunch of people um, grab drinks and on chat about techie stuff, um, like maybe once every three or four weeks. Yeah.
0: Very cool. Um, all right. So for anybody who is quite interested in checking out Japan, um, yeah. are there any definitely must, uh, must go to or must check out resources that you can think of?
2: Um, so, well, I'll, I'll list a few that, um, you know, might be cool to check out. Um, so one is the uh, Disrupting Japan podcast. Um, so uh, it's run by this guy called Tim Romero, who's a serial entrepreneur in Japan, uh, super well connected and uh, super passionate about startups in Japan. And he just uh, interviews uh, various uh, entrepreneurs in Japan, and uh, you know, they kind of, you know, like tell. the like the real story, like how they kind of encounter challenges and, and all that stuff. So that's it's really good of getting a sense of what it's like to uh, to work at a startup in Japan and also just doing entrepreneurship in general. Yeah, there's another podcast called um, Japan Venture. I think it's called the Japan Venture Show. And it's kind of a, a similar podcast, but it it, it was discontinued. But uh, there there's some good content there as well. There's uh, the Tech in Asia uh blog/um news site uh which um you know has a lot of um you know great news about um tech companies and startups in in Asia including a lot of stuff uh, in Japan um and then there are kind of various um big events that happen um the biggest english based ones would be uh, slush Uh, which is originally a Finnish uh, startup event, but um, is now running in Tokyo um, every year and is uh, English-based. And a lot of great startups show up there. And um, also there's uh, Pioneers Asia, which also came from Europe. Um, I didn't attend that one, but I heard it was pretty good too.
0: Actually, when we first met, you were explaining something about Slush uh, and something also about the, uh, the creator of Flappy Bird. You told a story. But it was in Japanese, and uh oh, no, part of
2: it—Angry Birds, Angry Birds, not Floppy Bird. Yeah. Oh right,
0: Angry Birds. Sorry. Um, what was that story?
2: Oh, uh, just that. Um, like I was just um, hanging out at the um, this kind of like pre-launch party for uh, the slush event in Tokyo, and then I was just um, you know talking to like who I thought was a random guy. Um, and then I was like, oh, so like, have you attended um, slush before? And then he said, I made slush. And I was like, oh, oh <laughs> I'm sorry for asking. Yeah, so he was uh, Peter uh, Vesterbacca, who also goes by the name uh, Mighty Eagle. So he was uh, sort of one of the creators of uh, Angry Birds in, uh, at Rovio in Finland. And now he actually does a lot of um, kind of um, entrepreneurship and startup um, support related stuff. Um, and so he actually comes to Japan a lot too.
0: He's where is guy. Slush held? It's held in uh, in Japan. Uh,
2: yeah, so there's a Slush in, uh, in Japan every year now, in Tokyo, and uh, one in China, and one in Finland, of course, where it first started. Um, there might be another one, I'm not sure.
0: Okay, very cool. We'll have to check that out. And it looks like that's Slush.org. Uh, So Jerry Chi, data scientist at Supercell, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to reach you?
2: Uh, Yeah, sure. So my uh, Twitter is uh, just uh, P-E-A-C-E-J. And also there's my email, uh, just jerrychi123 at gmail.com.
0: jerrychi123 at gmail.com. Very cool. Well, thank you very much, Jerry, for being on this episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast.
2: It was my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Check out our website, vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. Much appreciated. You can follow us on Twitter, Vantech Podcast. Feel free to leave some comments below. You can also hit us up on the YVR dev, the Vancouver Tech, the Vantech Slacks. I'm at James. And I'm at Drew. Special thanks to Same Room for hooking us up with an integration that allows us to have a cross-team Slack channel, Van devs, Do you have a meetup that you want us to plug? Email us, show at vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Music by A Shell in the Pit from the game Park Attack. See you at one of the meetups. Around, around town. town.